Hey, I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here. Earlier this year, we did a story about the Russian ransomware group Revil, or some people call it R-Evil, and we focused on what happened after it hacked Texas. Back in 2019, Revil hackers broke into the servers of nearly two dozen towns in the Lone Star State, and one of them was the town of Borger. They didn't single out Borger for any particular reason, aside from the fact that their server was connected to another server that was connected to another server that Revil broke into. And we talked to people there because we wanted to know what it was like being a small town going through something like that. Just as the episode came out back in February, Russia released a videotape showing the national police arresting a bunch of Revil members. At the time, the optimists among us thought maybe Moscow was finally cracking down on ransomware gangs. Fast forward four months, and we have Russian troops in Ukraine, and it appears Revil is back. According to SecureWorks Counter Threat Unit, a threat intelligence group, whoever is operating Revil now has access to the group's source code and parts of its old infrastructure. And SecureWorks said some of those members rounded up earlier this year have been released and seem to have returned to their operations. So this seemed like a good time to take a second look at that episode and give people who missed it a chance to hear it. We'll be back with a new episode next week. And although we always say thanks for listening, we want to say that again now because you helped a really great thing happen. According to Chartable, we were the number four tech news podcast in America last week. And that's thanks to you. More fresh stories and some news from the RSA conference in San Francisco next Tuesday. Now, here's our pilot episode. So there's this town in Texas called Borger, population 1300. It's in the panhandle about an hour north of Amarillo. And 100 years ago, it was one of those classic booming Texas oil towns. So it pretty much went from nothing to about 40,000 people in 90 days. Garrett Spradling's family was Borger born and bred. Now he's the city manager. And back in 2019, this thing happened in Borger that no one was expecting. It started early on the morning of August 16th, it was a Friday, and Jason Whistler was at the local coffee ranch. It was probably around 6.30 in the morning. Whistler is the emergency management coordinator in town, and he works with Spradling. My IT manager called me and informed me that we'd possibly been some sort of a compromise uh, with the system network. Computers across the city began flashing ransomware messages, and some of the city's printers suddenly sprung to life. (laughs) Shooting out messages as if they had a mind of their own. Personnel would, you know, see the paper on the printer and look at it, and it'd be like a a ransom printout that would be on the printers. Uh, it, It was almost, some of it was gibberish. Uh, but it was very definitively, right between the lines, you're infected, pay up. Today, the story of one of the biggest coordinated ransomware attacks against America and how it ended up playing a huge role in the development of something called ransomware as a service. People think criminals are stupid. They're not stupid. 
you know, they're, they're, they're smart too. And so, I mean, instead of asking for $60,000 of ransom, when they asked their first $6 million ransom, I think most people all said, we're like, whoa. Stay with us. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. We received a call um, at our office that at first an entity had been hit, um, a, a local government. Your Word document on your desktop saying, you know, city of Borger letterhead, all of a sudden it was like city pound at. And then soon the number had gone up to two, then eight. Letter, hashtag. Then ultimately to 23. Exclamation, you know, and then when you would go to click it, it just wouldn't open because it, it was, was encrypted and this computer couldn't recognize the file. That's Garrett Stradling from the town of Borger again. And here's Amanda Crawford, the chief information officer for the state of Texas. When we were talking to them about on the phone about what was hit, what did they have? Let's talk about your servers, your networks, your services, your applications. The folks who were talking to you on the phone, uh, they really had no idea. And this attack wasn't just hitting the panhandle. It popped up all over the state in nearly two dozen places. Payroll stopped. Vital records were frozen. Some police couldn't run license plates from their squad cars. Dispatch would do their logs and their notations on paper. By noon, the list of victims was almost as long as your arm. Towns like Wilmer and Graham and Vernon and Kaufman were all calling Crawford to say their computers were being held hostage by some ghostly presence. A gritty ghost, actually. The hackers wanted $2.5 million to make it stop. The city manager at the time, we were having a meeting, and, and he asked me, he said, I have to ask, because the insurance is asking, do we want to consider paying the ransom? Immediately, he said no. So we prefer to do things that we know will work or will get results, and that is not paying a ransom. It's very much like negotiating with terrorists. For Whistler and Spradling, this wasn't a whodunit. What they were focused on was getting Borger's computers running again. Who exactly was behind it was all beside the point. I've got enough to deal with dealing with a day-to-day basis in the city of Borger, so a lot of times I don't, I don't think past me. And even in this case, I, I mean, as bad as it may or may not sound, I didn't even think about the other cities. I have enough to worry about with my city. Figuring out who was behind the attack was left to others. Federal law enforcement, the FBI, the NSA. They were the ones investigating big, epic cyber attacks. The Sony hack in 2014, that was the North Koreans. The break-in at the Office of Personnel Management, the Chinese. 
These were what they called APTs, Advanced Persistent Threats. And typically, they included the big four, North Korea, China, Russia, and Iran. Kyle Hansloven used to work at the NSA. Now he runs a cybersecurity company called Huntress. And he was at the NSA when cyber units were told to focus on countries. Our stuff was nation-state threats, and let's go after the ATP, that advanced persistent threat, and we kind of slept. What he means is that the U.S. failed to recognize an emerging threat. By 2015 or 2016, nation-states weren't the only ones weaponizing cyberspace. Criminals were doing it in a big way, too. At some point, it dawned on them that selling access to computers could be incredibly lucrative. And they tested out the theory by buying things from initial access brokers. They're just run-of-the-mill hackers who find vulnerabilities in random computers and then bundle them together. Initial access brokers would get people that are largely, and accesses that are largely unimportant, they resell access for dirt cheap. We're talking about sometimes as cheap as $10 for access. The people who buy them then root around to see where else this access might take them. Could a small vulnerability on one computer, for example, allow them to monkey bar over to something else, like a company email system or a company network? So they will take something that's worth $10, mature it, meaning sometimes move through the network. Maybe they get in and get to that managed service provider, or they get in and get to that valuable software. And then with that valuable software, they will say, ooh, this access that I bought for 10, I'm now going to resell it for 100. And where that all led is to a sinister thing that is rocking the cyber world today, something called ransomware as a service. I mean, we were late behind the power curve on all of ransomware as a service. Ransomware as a service. We'll explain. This is Click Here. We'll be right back. Blockchain, NFTs, AI. What does this mean for you and me? I'm Sherelle Dorsey, host of the TED Tech Podcast, where we bring you the latest innovations and biggest ideas in tech. Tech is evolving fast and it affects our lives, from the metaverse to the watches on our wrists. You'll learn why people in AI make good business partners, about our future self-driving robo-taxi, what the next generation of Siri, Alexa, Google looks like, and a lot more. Find TED Tech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Remember Borger Emergency Management Coordinator Jason Whistler and that early call he got at breakfast the day of the 2019 ransomware attack? Well, that call came from the city's managed service provider, or MSP. Um, this was a third-party contractor that had remote software to help support our systems, and their system had been compromised, uh, which was the conduit for, for that you know, that ransomware to get into our system. The same MSP ran IT for the 23 places in Texas that were attacked in 2019. One hack, 23 victims, incredibly efficient. Years later, people would call this a supply chain attack. Instead of attacking something head-on, they find a weak link in the chain to target, like an MSP. So that was the how of Texas 2019. But it took a little sleuthing to figure out the who. Kyle Hansloven thinks he knows. He'd seen this before. It turns out that one of his clients, a managed service provider, had been hacked a year before the Texas attack. And the MO was almost exactly the same. One MSP company was hacked, and then a whole bunch of their clients got hit with a ransomware attack. 
And we got called out because they just happened to be local enough to us that we could make the trip and sit alongside an incident response firm. And during the process, we realized that the actor got into the remote management software. Remote management software. You've seen it. It's what your IT department uses when they take over your computer to fix some problem. But here's the thing that made Hansloven's case so different. A video feed the company had set up to record their help sessions ended up accidentally capturing the bad guys at work. So we had hours and hours and hours of footage of this actor going in one computer at a time, encrypting each host for hours on end. You could actually see the screen, do the encryption. And what's funny is from some of the naming schemes to the tactics, to the capabilities, to what they checked. Sometimes you call it, you know, post-exploitation. What do they do after they get initial access? Little digital fingerprints, gossamer connections that not only showed how similar all this was to the Texas attack, but also eventually to a suspect. Or should I say suspects? It was a group that officials believe was behind a rash of ransomware attacks against everything from law firms to Apple computer suppliers to Madonna and Lady Gaga. And, not so coincidentally, to the ransomware attack that forced the world's biggest meatpacker, JBS, to temporarily close some of its plants around the world. It's another attack on critical infrastructure, this time the food supply. The world's biggest meat producer, U.S. intelligence agencies have attributed all those attacks to a Russian-speaking group that you may have heard of. They call themselves REVIL. Is it REVIL or REVIL? Some people literally say are evil. I am basic and vanilla and everybody generally says revil. I don't know why they kept with both case, you know, capital R, capital E, and I think that's where are evil comes from, but you would think that would be hyphenated. But that generally are evil or revil is the name of the group. And it turns out Hansloven had been watching them longer than just about anybody. My first run-ins with Revil were probably well before they ever called themselves Freevil. And what I mean by that is probably like 2017, maybe even as early as 2016. According to Hansloven, if you track any hacker group long enough, you start to recognize their ticks and their tells. Could be a snippet of code that keeps coming up or the kinds of targets they choose. They do these behaviors and you start to group these together. And Revil's tell was targeting MSPs. They were particularly good at finding vulnerabilities in MSP software and then attacking it. And at the time, they were the only hackers who thought of doing it. And that's how they got into 23 computer networks in Texas, including Borger's. Borger might have seemed like just another victim had the city not caught a lucky break. It happened to have been in the middle of transferring a bunch of data over from a new city hall server that August. Emergency management coordinator Jason Whistler says they had a malfunction just a couple of days before the attack. By luck, we had a faulty UPS with that server. UPS, that's like a surge protector. And a couple of nights before, we had some storms roll through. And when the power flickered, that server shut down and was also offline. So even though a lot of our individual desktops were affected by this through the network, the lion's share of our data that we need for just city operations, utility billing, that was actually preserved on a server that had fortunately been, been shut down because of the power issues. 
Garrett Stradling, the city manager, said that and a couple of other happy accidents meant that the ransomware attack was scary, but in the end, not all that expensive. What did you end up paying? I mean, do, what was the cost? Direct costs were just a little over, I think, $44,000. So in a, in a $30 million budget for the city of Borger, I mean, you know, it, was, it was, wasn't even half of our, our general contingency funding. The state of Texas talked to some of the computer companies, explained what happened, and they gave Borger a huge discount on new computers. And it is satisfying that they didn't get anything, but our overall expenses, our, our loss and the replacement was mitigated by the state. You know, we didn't pay any of the ransom. Uh, so all in all, I would call it a successful failure. For Revil, all that reconnaissance they did to find the right vulnerable MSP, all those ransomware notes sent to printers and screens all over Texas, all that coding didn't earn them a dime. So as much as the attack focused minds in Texas on ransomware, the group that ended up massively changing their behavior wasn't the towns in Texas. It was Revil. And we know this because Revil began talking about it. Or at least a member of the group who went by the name Unknown started chatting. He was not a hacker. He was the operator. He was the manager. That's Dmitry Smilyanitz. And he had a long online chat with Unknown last year. His job was to control the infrastructure, make sure it all works, make sure that uh, communication line with victims is up, make sure that the payments go through and the affiliates are getting their share. The hacks, I, I would say all the hacks claimed by Revil, he was part of. Smilyanitz works at Recorded Future, a cyber intelligence company. Click here and the record are divisions of the company and are editorially independent. And while we can't verify all of Unknown's many claims about Revil, he did make plain that after 2019, the group had done some rethinking. Their main goal is to make money, and they will not stop on anything until they make this money. They uh, bring new uh, tactics, new techniques. For example, they started targeting CEOs and founders of companies they think that will help to pressure the victim to pay. And they launched a kind of new product we mentioned before, something now known as ransomware as a service. Think of it as a franchising opportunity. Instead of doing all that labor-intensive, time-consuming reconnaissance work before an attack, Revil announced that they were willing to lease their ransomware for independent attacks. The group would give you the ransomware and then take, say, 30% of any Bitcoin collected as a service fee. Their affiliates, the franchisee, pocketed the rest. Unknown said that this idea turned out to be wildly successful. As many as 60 different affiliates were using their ransomware at any one time, which could explain the huge number of epic ransomware attacks last year, like the attack on IT software company Kaseya that knocked some 1,500 organizations offline, the high-profile attacks against Colonial Pipeline, JBS, and the Iowa New Cooperative. What was different was this. Instead of having one group like Revil hacking 100 companies, you've got 60 groups hacking tens of thousands of them. Experts might spot Revil's code in the ransomware, but because of their new business model, they can't be sure who is behind it. And the thing is, affiliates, they shift. They can work for two or three gangs at the same time. And based on success of the certain gang, based on their malware, the speed of the malware, based on reputation, they pick 
a particular variant before attacking the target. Since Texas, Revil has been linked to some 175,000 ransomware attacks, generating some 200 million in ransom. And here's an interesting thing about all those hacks. Not one of them was leveled against Russia. Back in Borger, Garrett Spradling and Jason Whistler are still thinking about the next threat. Garrett said ransomware is the new reality for everyone, not just big corporations. You know, cities used to be really worried about, you know, vaccinating and reducing polio or when sewer systems first started getting, you know, because you had all the dysentery and stuff from open sewers. I mean, that's just the that's the story of local government and local cities is adapting to the modern challenges and cyber threats and cybersecurity is just the new threat that we're all just going to have to learn how to adapt to. We don't like throwing our sewage out the bucket onto the street anymore. Well, you know, you're going to have to learn that clicking on unknown links in an email is just like you used to throw the sewage out on the street. Do you think you guys are ready for the next ransomware attack? Oh, I never want to jinx myself with that. We have to be on guard and catch it 100% of the time. They only have to get lucky once. And we have a coda for the story. Last year, U.S. Cyber Command and the NSA launched an offensive operation against Revil. They took over their server and redirected all their traffic, which basically shuttered their ransomware operation and ended Revil as we knew it at the time. Then, just a few months later, in January, Moscow released a video of Russian authorities raiding the homes of more than a dozen alleged Revil members. Think of an episode of Cops with a kind of Russian twist. Men in uniform bursting into small apartments, tackling suspects sitting on their backs as they snap handcuffs onto their wrists. The cameras panned across banks of computers, garbage bags full of cash, and stacks of hard drives. Moscow said afterwards that it had arrested Revil members as a favor to President Biden. And that Revil manager, the one Smilyanets interviewed, the guy known as Unknown, he's still missing. He disappeared. The people who were rounded up, they're due in a Russian court at the end of May or beginning of June. And Smilyanets says the Revil members could be released because of a lack of evidence. People think criminals are stupid. They're not stupid. You know, they're 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 smart too. And so I mean it's it's been it's been a game, you know, that, that's been a game that's been developed over over many, many years. And so everybody adapts to everything that happens. If we as a government don't adapt, or even the criminal syndicates on their side don't adapt, then they become irrelevant. Ransomware as a service attacks are expected to keep growing this year. And if you think about it, it's an ingenious business model. Everyone can concentrate on what they're good at. Elite coders can concentrate on coding, brokers can provide access to targets, and low-level criminals can launch very sophisticated attacks. Ransomware is a multi-billion dollar industry that will only get bigger, and part of that is because of what a group of cyber criminals learned in Texas. Awesome art!
Here are some of the big cyber and intelligence stories you need to know about from the past week. The FBI issued a new alert for U.S. colleges and universities. Russian cybercrime forums are teeming with network and VPN access credentials for institutes of higher learning in the U.S. Last spring, the FBI says it found more than 36,000 email and password combinations for email accounts ending in .edu in various crime forums. How'd they end up there? According to the FBI, spear phishing, ransomware, or other cyber attacks on U.S. colleges and universities have allowed criminals to collect them. On Thursday, the Senate confirmed Air Force Lieutenant General Timothy Hawk as Cyber Command's next number two. Hawk was nominated last month and had previously served in a variety of senior roles at Cyber Command, including as one of the leaders of a joint election security task force with the NSA, which protected the 2018 midterms from foreign election interference. He was also the deputy chief of Joint Task Force Ares, which, among other things, hobbled ISIS's media operation. Hawk is considered the most likely successor to Army General Paul Nakasone, the current Cyber Command and NSA chief. The record recently reported Nakasone has been asked to stay on for another year. And finally, Interpol said on Wednesday that it had struck a major blow against a cyber crime group known for scams aimed at stealing money from companies around the world. Nigerian police worked with Interpol to arrest a 37-year-old Nigerian man suspected of being the leader of a group known as Silver Terrier, Terrier like the dog. Authorities didn't release the suspect's name, but said he was behind massive phishing campaigns and business email compromises. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42, one of the cybersecurity companies that assisted in the investigation, posted a photo of the suspect, but didn't identify him. Today's episode was produced by Sean Powers and Will Jarvis. It was edited by Steve Lichtai. Our episode was mixed and mastered by David Schulman. Ben Levinston composed our theme and original music, and we had additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. We'd also like to thank Dimitri for sharing his exclusive interview with Unknown. Can you just say your last name for me like three times? Smilianitz. 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 Okay, awesome. And if you go to our website, you can watch that video feed we mentioned that shows rival hackers breaking into an MSP. That's at clickhereshow.com. Click Here is a production of The Record by Recorded Future. And we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.